0: You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.TheVineMadison.org. Starting in verse 1 of Matthew 13. So, This is the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower hits home for me because my wife loves to do gardening. And so she's got the green thumb in our household. She loves to get on her gardening boots and her gloves and her little basket full of gardening tools and get out there and cultivate some stuff for us to eat as a family. It's beautiful. And you see it all over our neighborhoods these days. Lots of people out in the yard cultivating things. This is a time of year for gardening, we also have a uh, a new tree swing in our in our yard. A big tree swing. You get some momentum off that thing. I built a platform. Kids can swing off that thing, and so we've got neighborhood kids coming over all the time because this is like the place of fun and adventure now in our neighborhood where you climb up on this platform and you swing off the swing. Man, it's, it's, it's a joy. But one of the casualties of this is our grass. Now, it's not too bad yet, but you can see these little bear patches starting to show up where little feet are constantly in the same place off the swing at the foot of the ladder of the platform, da-da-da-da-da. So it's gonna be time... Next spring, I'm sure, to plant some new grass on the bear patches. So that will be Kim's job. And she'll go out there and she will scatter some seed on the bear patches in our yard from little feet running around all over the place out there. But grass can be tricky. Growing grass can be tricky. Now, usually it's really tough. It's really durable. But at times you just don't know what's going to happen, right? There's lots of factors at play that we can't. Control, you, get, you can't control the sunshine, you can't control the rain. So you go out to the yard and you plant some seed, right? You cast them out and you wait and you see what happens. It's so fun, I think, to see, like my wife and I really enjoy this, to see something that you planted take root and over time start to grow and to flourish. There's a sense of encouragement from that that's really deeply satisfying, I think. I feel like, honestly, it's, a, it's an echo of Eden. It's an echo of Eden. Like God created us to cultivate the creation as a good gift that he's given to us. That's part of what it means to be a human being, in God's image, to take his creation and cultivate it, cause it to flourish, and so when you go out in your little garden box or whatever you have and you see that, that's an echo of Eden. That's really good. We scatter seed and wait and watch it grow. We can't control it. Well, the same was true in Jesus' day. Human beings have been doing this for a long time. And Jesus came to the world in a culture that was very agricultural. It's why so many of Jesus' parables have to do with farming. Everyone knew what it was. Everybody knew how it worked. They too, just like us, scattered seed, couldn't control the rain, couldn't control the sun, and just, man, Lord, would you provide here? And they watched for the growth. Well, today what we're going to look at is Jesus drawing on this common human experience of putting a seed in the ground and and you're not really sure what's going to happen next. And he uses this as a means of teaching. So today, as we look at God's word, it's going to be really simple. First of all, we're going to look at Jesus answering this question. Jesus, why did you teach in parables? We're going to see that in the text and we're going to see him answer that question. And then we're going to look at him explain this parable about scattering seed, the parable of the sower, okay? So that's what we're going to do. Let's dive in. Verse one. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to, him, um, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, So this sounds a little bit confusing, does it not? It, if you look at verse 12, it almost sounds kind of mean. Like, man, if, if, you, uh, if you already have some more, we're going to give you some more. And if you don't have any, we're going to even take that away. That's what he says. But let's remember the context before we jump to conclusions here. The context of the book of Matthew is, for the most part, up until this point, Jesus has just met resistance, People not listening to him, not receiving him for the most part. Now, there's, of course, a handful of people like his disciples that respond to him in trusting and treasuring faith, but not many. The track record has been defiance and resistance. So look at verse 11. What does it say? To you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven or the mysteries Of the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, you disciples, you get to know clearly the truth without it being veiled in any form, in any parable. See, when you respond in faith to Jesus, to what he says, it's going to be multiplied. What you will have will increase. That's what he's saying. This is true of all of us. The grass is green where you water it. But the opposite is also true. If you have Jesus in your midst and you have this this access to Jesus, but you refuse to listen by not watering what's been given to you, this this grass in faith, if you can understand the metaphor, that grass is going to die and it's going to be taken away. Jesus is just saying that the parables are a form of judgment. Resistance and lack of faith will not be rewarded. Look at verse 12. Jesus says he will take himself away from them. Even what he has will be taken away. So in this sense, they had Jesus' audience. They had him. But Jesus is not going to play games with people. If they resist and resist and resist, he will remove himself from them. He explains this more clearly in verse 13. Look at verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, he says, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So he just tells them straight up, this is why I speak to them in parables. Seeing they do not see. Like they see my physical body, but they don't see what I truly am. Like they hear words, it passes through their ear canal and hits their eardrum and connects the nervous system and and their brain, but they don't hear in such a way as to repent and believe. They hear, but they refuse to hear. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. It's kind of like in our home, uh, when we gather at the table for a meal, it's a known kind of custom tradition rule that we don't come to the table with our devices and our earbuds in. Okay, that makes sense, right? And why why do we do that? Because it, it It causes a barrier to true community when someone's not dialed in completely, when they're distracted, when they have other priorities like my music or a podcast or YouTube or whatever. That's a higher priority. I communicate that when I come to the table with my earbuds in. And that's what Jesus is kind of talking about here. It's like if you try to talk to someone and they keep their earbuds in on their phone, it's like you can kind of hear but it would be muffled, it would be distracted. And if you asked them to, hey, would you, would you take those out so that we can actually connect? And they just refused and refused. At a certain point, you would be like, well, this isn't really fruitful. This isn't really going anywhere. I'm gonna have to move on from this person. They're, they're hearing my words, sort of, but for sure it's not connecting. They obviously have other priorities with their iPhone earbuds in, they want to listen to something else. And that's what Jesus is doing here. That's what he's saying. He's saying, if you won't take the earbuds out, I will move on. That's what Jesus taught in parables. It's a form of judgment on hard hearts. I won't play games. I won't play games. I won't just give you myself forever if you continue to have a hard heart. And not receive what I say. So that's the explanation of why parables that they asked him. But then he turns and gives his disciples, those that have a track record of wanting to wanting to hear with ears to hear, he gives us some amazing word of encouragement. Check this out, verse sixteen. But blessed are your eyes. Talking to his disciples now, blessed are your eyes for they see. And your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus is just saying to them, realize the time in which you live, be awakened to the blessing that it is. What he's saying here is this for centuries, Centuries upon centuries, God's people longed to have what they had. For centuries, God's people at times felt like sheep without a shepherd. They wandered in the wilderness. They suffered under kings that were wicked and failed shepherds. They waited 400 years in slavery. They waited 400 years between Malachi, the last prophet, and when there was the ultimate prophet came. It was another 400 years from Malachi to Matthew. Centuries of longing and longing. And Jesus says to his disciples what they longed for and longed for so deeply is what you have me, the Messiah. Has come. He's saying, embrace the blessing that you have. Look at verse 17. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So, how much more should you listen with ears to hear? I think there's an application for us here in the same way, us today. We live 2,000 years on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb and the giving of the Holy Spirit. We don't have the physical presence of Jesus like the first disciples did, like we read about in our text for today. But Jesus himself said we have what is even better, the presence of the Holy Spirit alive in us. Like, what a privilege that we can have such clear words from God right here and from his Spirit alive in us, evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. Like, this has not always been the case for God's people. So praise God for the time and space we live in. Be thankful for the time and space we live in, just like the disciples were called to be thankful. Like, we live in a different, completely different time, of course, But I think we could say a similar thing for ourselves. How much more should we listen with ears to hear? We have God's word, we have the Holy Spirit. Another angle on on this kind of thankfulness would be the fact that we have a Bible in our own hands and in our own language. For centuries, God's people didn't have a Bible in their hands didn't have a Bible in their own language. People bled and died so that we could have a Bible translated in our own language. Like we talk about having a quiet time, meaning prioritizing, reading your Bible, meditating on it, memorizing it. Like millions of Christians throughout the past 2,000 years never had that opportunity to get up in the morning and read their, kick their day off by reading their own Bible in their own language. I think Jesus would say to us too, blessed are you that you have a Bible in your own language. Like the disciples, we too are unique. We have in our hands what millions of people would have killed to have throughout church history. A few centuries after the printing press, I got numerous Bibles on my shelf. Man, something to be thankful for. Let me give you one more. We live in the day and age of the internet, just like the past 25 years. With all of its dangers and vices, it gives a blessing that's unique, unprecedented sharing of information. The gospel is going around the globe right now in the last 25 years in ways that the world has never seen before, with ease that the world has never seen before. We too, like the disciples, should be thankful for what we see, hear, and have access to. How much more should we have ears to hear? How much more should we have a posture of thankfulness for what we have? So, praise God for the good of the printing press and the internet, and the fact that we live in the time of the giving of the Holy Spirit on those who trust and treasure King Jesus above all. So, let me summarize where we've been. We've seen Jesus explain why he teaches in parables, it's a veil of judgment on those with hard hearts. But then he turns and he says to those who don't have hard hearts, who who exhibit the desire to listen with ears to hear, and he says, man, you're blessed for that. You're blessed for what you have. His disciples then, it was the presence of Jesus. For disciples now, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit and Bibles in our own language, the power of the internet, sending the gospel around the world. So now that that's clear, let's look at this famous Parable of the sower, and Jesus explains it. We've already read it, but let's now let's key into Jesus' explanation of the parable. Look at verse 18. He says to his disciples, hear, again, he's calling out for ears to hear, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet while he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution rises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. So we got four groups of people, right? Let's list them off. First, we've got the one, there's something in common here, the word hearing, right? So first, those who hear but don't understand, verse 19, right? Second, verse 20, those who respond well at the outset, but suffering causes them to fall away. Third, there are those who hear and might last for a little bit, But they have other priorities. They have other priorities that are more important things of the world, the pursuit of money. They choke out God's word and his power in their life. That's verse 22. See it? And then verse 23. Finally, the fourth group there's those that hear and they understand it and they bear fruit in various measures. It's not all the same. So let me boil it down even more. Number one, the group, they hear it, but they're like, doesn't make sense, no thanks. Number two, those who are unwilling to carry their cross, Jesus is not worth it. Number three, those that hear, but money is better. Worldly distractions of various forms are better. And then finally, those that hear, and Jesus is better than all else. His word is better than all else. Jesus is the treasure to be found. Jesus is ultimate. So what is this text about? What is this parable about? Well, the first thing I think we could say is that this is Jesus setting our expectations. Jesus is managing our expectations. In what sense? Well, what do we we know about Jesus's will for his disciples? His will for his disciples, as we're gonna see in chapter 28 is that we would go and make more disciples. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So go, it's just another word of saying, scatter the seed, Jesus says. But Jesus wants our expectations to be clear. That there's lots of different responses to you when you go and make Disciples. They're not going to all hear the same way. So this is a lesson for me as I think about planting the Vine Church. When we came here 10 years ago, the expectation was that we would sow the seed and it would all be number four kind of soil. Now, I didn't, I didn't know that I had that expectation but you come with just this mindset of like, well, we'll put in the work and then we will see success. You expect, expect success. And I should have spent more time reading the parable of the sower. Like, I feel like personally, I've tried to be faithful to share my faith, to sow the seed. And I personally haven't seen a ton of conversions. I haven't seen a ton of fourth soil type activity. Now, I'm not sovereign. I don't have God's viewpoint. I don't know what's gonna happen over the course of time. This is just my limited framework that I'm working with, right? So there's lots of nuance here. There's lots of qualifications we can make. But I think had I spent more time meditating on this parable, my expectations would have been appropriately adjusted and maybe wouldn't have had some disappointment that I've worked with over the years. Like, how come we're not seeing more massive conversions? Well, that's not the way it always happens. Jesus has promised that when we sow the seed. He's just saying to his disciples who are called to go into the world and, and sow seed and make disciples, there's gonna be a lot of different scenarios to that. You should be okay with that. I don't think Jesus is giving an exhaustive list here either of all the different responses. But he's painting a picture of lots of different scenarios of people when they hear the good news of Jesus. What's going to happen? I think secondly, this parable should sober us up to ask this question. Where do I see myself here? Am I willing to carry my cross, second kind of soil? Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Do I value the things of the world more than Jesus? Honestly, as I think about myself, as I think about maybe the the dominant population group of our church, I think the third soil is really where we need to pay attention Now, of course, there's diversity in our church. But I think most of us, just knowing our demographics, most of us would probably really need to prayerfully consider and ask God to give you a heart to resist the third kind of soil. I mean, all of them, of course. But just knowing our track record of most people in our church The third soil can really be tempting. It's for me. The deceitfulness of riches. Based on the population of the whole world, almost everybody listening to this right now is very rich. And there's a deceitfulness there. There's a temptation to trust the bank account more than God. So we need to ask ourselves, not as a condemnation, but just a a sobering asking. Like, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. I don't want to trust in riches. Would you help me, Lord? I confess that to you. Submit myself to you. Let me close with an encouragement this morning. This is how I read this, and this is my first question when I read this, and, and this might hit home for you, too. When I read this, my first thought is, man, I want to be a fourth soil type person. I want to be a fourth soil type person. How can I know, God, that I'm going to be a fourth soil type person, that I am a fourth soil type person? Well, Jesus says, you'll know by what? There'll be some evidence. Verse 23, as for... What was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit. He indeed bears fruit. Well, Jesus, how do I know if I've borne enough fruit? I think that's the wrong question. I want to that's what I always do. It's like, well, I want to make sure I can manage it and control it and if I can just see like I've met the standard and there's this much fruit and then I can go, okay, yes, I've accomplished it or I haven't. That's not the point. That's the wrong question. The better question is this. Not the amount of fruit. Jesus seems to say here that there's a diversity of amounts. And that's okay. 30, 60, 100fold. The question's not the amount. Of fruit. The question is your relationship to the farmer. The question is not the amount of fruit. The question is the re, your relationship to the farmer. What is your relationship to the one who actually brings about fruit in your life? Like when you go scatter seed, can you force that fruit out of the ground? If you have a vineyard, can you make Through sheer efforts, grapes come. You can't control that. You can't manufacture it, but you can put yourself in the right environment. So Jesus has a promise for us. This is why I say, not the amount of fruit, but your relationship to the farmer. John 15, it's so clear. If you abide in me, you will be bear fruit. Let me just read it for you. You don't need to turn there. Let me just read it for you. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Here it is. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. You can't force it. You can't manufacture it. Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a, like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Your fruit bearing is about God and his glory. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So, what's the promise? Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. It's not the amount of fruit, it's your relationship to the farmer. And if you're abiding in, relating to, connected to Jesus, he says you will bear fruit. So, don't focus on the fruit, focus on Jesus. That's the point. Don't focus on the fruit, focus on Jesus and that he will take care of your fruit. Don't look at the fruit. Look at Jesus. And by the power of his Holy Spirit given to you as you look at him over and over again through the acts of history as recorded in God's word, the cross and the empty tomb and the giving of the Holy Spirit poured out on all those who trust and treasure King Jesus. That's going to produce fruit in your life. A thousand looks at Christ on the cross for every one look at yourself. Keep abiding in, keep remaining in, staying connected to. And I just wanna commend to us, you do this by reading God's word. Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus said. We just read it. If you remain in me, Jesus said, and my words remain in you, my words, God's word, the Bible, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be given to you. John 15, 7. The word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. That's what Paul said. So if you want to bear fruit, You have to be abiding in Christ. How do you know how to abide in Christ? How do you know Christ? You know it through what he's revealed about himself in his word. Soak in God's word. Saturate your mind in God's word. You want to be the kind of person, if you prick them, they bleed Bible. Right? And then what happens? As you do that prayerfully, submitted to him, not arrogantly, but but Lord, I, I submit to you, As I read your word, I say, Lord, my life is open before you because I know apart from you, I can do nothing. I open myself to you. I'm ready to hear with ears to hear. I want to abide in you. And then what happens? The promise is you will bear fruit. You will be that fourth soil kind of person. Don't focus on the amount. We're not into selfish ambition and envy and comparison. That's not the point. The point is, God's going to produce the fruit in you to his glory, not your own. And you will have joy as a participant in it for the sake of God's glory. So I just want to commend Vine Church, Vine family, that we make this the trajectory of our lives together. That we're going to abide in Christ, focus on Christ, who he is, what he's done, what he has promised. We're going to soak in that word, prayerfully do so, and then we're going to see the four soil start to come over time among us. And it will be beautiful and it will make this church a city on a hill. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we need your help. We believe, help our unbelief, Lord. Would you make us, we ask for it again, that you would make us as a church, collectively united, loving each other, a fourth soil kind of church, a fourth soil kind of group of people. Lord, we want to bear fruit, like you said in John 15, for your glory, not our own. So Lord, rid us of selfish ambition and envy and produce in us the fruit of your spirit. May there be more love. May there be more joy patience, gentleness, self-control, and all the fruits of the Spirit. May that be who we are. May the power of your Spirit flow through us, not the power of the flesh, the power of your Spirit flow through us for your glory and our joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen.